Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Here we are, working together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That is the plan, that is the project over these next months and years to take you on a journey through the whole Bible. Now, you may be joining us for the first time today. Well, there's still an opportunity, if you like, to go right back to the start and maybe pay catch up for a few months, listen to more than one a day so that you can complete the whole process. I'd also remind you that if you knew that there's always a full transcript of everything I've said available for you in the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. Now, if you happen to be watching the podcast in video format, on YouTube or perhaps on Facebook, then there'll be a link there through to where the audio version is hosted. And within that, you'll find the transcript. Now, that transcript text and the contents of what I'm saying here is free for you to use whatever way you want. I mean, a a credit is always appreciated, but they're free for you to rewrite, reconstitute, prepare your own Bible studies from, even prepare your own teaching. You're free to do that uh, because we really just want to get the Word of God out there into the world. And that's what my patrons want as well also. Now, no matter what platform you're accessing this podcast from, in audio version, whether it be Deezer, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, maybe even Amazon, Within those, there'll always be all the links that you need within the audio versions as well as the transcript page. And the Patreon page is also where you can access some some extra teaching, uh, exclusive teaching and resources that I make available there. But I'll tell you more about that at the end. But anyway, that's it by way of introduction today. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're really benefiting from being part of this amazing project to allow the Bible to become part the rhythm of your daily life but that's it for now and uh, i'll see you at the end but at this point we'll jump right into the main text that we're studying so we're at this point in the text in genesis chapter 29 where jacob has just woken up and found that leah has spent he has spent the night with Leah in the tent after the wedding feast rather than Rachel whom he expected so let me remind you of that closing verse which said and Laban gave his his servant Zilpha to his daughter as his, her attendant so he's brought Leah in and moved by by cover of darkness and put her in the tent with Jacob on the wedding night and then that verse closes with it saying when morning came there was Leah So how do we explain that? How do we explain what's going on here? And this is where it gets to be fun, if you like, because all the different commentaries have a different idea of and a different way of trying to explain this. So we'll begin by doing that, by considering some of the the perspectives here. So let me give you some of the possibilities as to what people think is going on. One is most draw attention to the fact that it was dark, which is probably true, by the way. Some have suggested that Jacob ate so much food and maybe drink as well that he fell asleep when Leah arrived at his tent. Or some others have come up with a creative idea that that Laban 
put Leah in Rachel's clothes and sprinkled her with his fume. Well, there are a couple of ideas, but there's no direct evidence in the scripture to suggest that's the case, but it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. One commentator I read suggested that there are a number of factors may have contributed to Jacob's unawareness of his deception. He draws attention to the fact that there was no reason for suspicion. He said Jacob would have had no reason to think that something like this was going to happen. And remember, she would have been brought to him under cover of darkness. And the two sisters probably had a similar general physical resemblance and stature. Others have said the most obvious one that Jacob was intoxicated from drinking so much at the feast and that his mind was clouded. And other experts I've read interestingly say that she could very well have been veiled when she was brought to him. Now that's interesting, isn't it? And even today, I know someone from India who said their father, who was married in the 1960s, told him that when they got married, he didn't see his wife's face until three days after the wedding. And I have been told that it is still customary in some parts of India for the bride to remain veiled until after the completion of the marriage ceremony. And that's interesting that that still happens today. But anyway, Jacob wakes up and there is Leah. Can you imagine what he was feeling when he found out that this trick had been played on him? He must have been furious. Well, we don't have to imagine how he felt. Verse 25 will tell us how he felt. So let's pick up the text there. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. So this is the, one of the major turning points of the story here. You deceived me, Jacob is saying to his father-in-law. Interesting to me that Jacob previously deceived his own father to get his blessing instead of his brother's. And this is a case of this deceiver being deceived in a similar way. It really appears to be the case of what goes around comes around, doesn't it? Jacob accuses Laban of deceiving him and Laban says well it's not our custom to give the younger before the firstborn daughter is married. I did it because the oldest should be married first and Jacob says well why didn't you tell me that seven years ago instead of tricking me on my actual wedding night you have deceived me he says but Laban then says finish your final week the wedding feast week for Leah and then serve me for another seven years for Rachel. You promised to work for me for seven more years, and you can have Rachel as well, he says. So Jacob fulfills his wedding week, and then Laban gives his daughter Rachel as his wife also to Jacob, and they get married. But he has to spend seven years now working for Laban to fulfill the contract because he got her ahead of time. And the text closes out this chapter by saying, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant, and Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. 
Now, all this will become significant in the next seven chapter, and maybe Jacob's going to have some payback time. There'll be again what goes around coming coming around for Jacob. But here is what's going on up to this point. The deceiver was deceived. Jacob had pretended to be the older brother one chapter ago, and now Leah here pretends to be the younger sister. Leah and her father deceived Jacob just in the same way, a very similar way to how Jacob and Rebekah had previously deceived his own father, Isaac. Jacob had deceived Isaac by taking advantage of his inability to see due to poor eyesight. And also Laban here takes advantage of Jacob by probably mainly by his inability to see who is brought into his tent in the dark. So Laban and Leah are being just as deceitful as Jacob had previously been. Now one commentator says this is just about the meanest trick ever played. It's certainly one of the meanest tricks that we witness being played in the Bible. Okay, that's the end of chapter 29. Let me just sum up and let me make a few observations about what we've looked at these last couple of days. The sum of it is straightforward enough. The Lord led Jacob to his relatives in the east so that he could get away from his brother, who he felt in danger from, while at the same time the Lord, in doing that, allowed the deceiver to be deceived, maybe in order to teach him what deception felt like. So what I want to do is break this story down now and give you just some simple observation by way of observations by way of conclusion. The first thing I believe we should take away from this message is the very simple straightforward thing is that God continues to bless his children. I mean that's what's clearly going on here in spite of all the twists and turns. He promised he would give the land to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. How many times have we heard that phrase going out through the book? And that is remaining the case here. That's what's going on here. And in order, the bottom line in, is in order for that to happen, God has to fulfill his promise and Jacob has to get a wife. So in one sense, he's allowing, God's allowing the providing of a wife so that promise can be fulfilled. And what's fascinating to me is God is maintaining that end goal, if you like, that God is working through all these human deceptions in order to still get that done. And that tells me that no matter what people do, God is and will remain faithful to his promises and his plans, and even his promises to bless his children. Now, the second lesson I would take away from this is that, yes, God blesses his children, but also God disciplines his children. You see, within the context of the book of Genesis, you cannot help but read this story without being struck by the fact that he had just deceived his father. Someone, I, one of the commentaries I read said Jacob was getting exactly what he deserved. He had to work for seven extra years as a payment for what should have been his by ordinary and fair means. The writer begins to draw an important lesson from these narratives for us. Jacob's deceptive schemes, his way of obtaining his blessing, clearly does not meet with divine approval. Though through Jacob's plans and machinations, God's will, it will still be accomplished, friend. And the writer of the Genesis text is on intent on pointing out as well that the screams and the tricks and the machinations were not 
God's divine plan. The Bible makes that statement over and over again, not just here but elsewhere. Proverbs 11, Proverbs 22, Hosea 8.10 and chapters 11 all show stories and human plots and schemes but yet still being used by God to bring about his purposes. You see, what Jacob did to Esau, his brother and his father, was underhanded, despicable and mean. And what Laban does here is also underhanded, despicable and mean. So in other words, on this occasion, what goes around comes around. So it should be noted that that's the principle. But while it's a principle that is often true, it is not always the case. It is true in this case. It may be true for us in situations we find ourselves in, but it is not absolutely or necessarily true in every case. In other words, there are exceptions to this rule. Some people will not get caught in this life for the wrong that they do, but they will have to face the judge of all the earth in the next life. So the important point is God blesses his children, but God also disciplines his children. Maybe I should rephrase that by saying God sometimes teaches his children through discipline. Have you ever thought about it that way? At Bethel in the previous chapter, Jacob wrestled with the Lord and he learned some things about God. But now he's in Haran and he's learned some things about his own wicked heart, his own sinful nature, or at least we hope he has. So God, we see here, is in the business of teaching his children about himself and about themselves. But what is fascinating is this, and what I'm about to say I think is often misunderstood by many Christians, but it's important. I said God can bless his children and God disciplines his children, right? But I need to add to that that sometimes God does both these things at the same time, and I believe that's what the story is teaching us. It's not a binary either-or situation. We tend to think, I believe, that God either blesses us or disciplines us. The truth is, he may be in the process of blessing us sometimes through discipline. So I want to say God will always remain faithful to his promises friends, the promise to bless his people, the promise promise to bless you, his child. But in the process of that blessing, he may very well be disciplining you also. Sometimes bringing to bear the consequences of what you've done or previously unresolved sin in your life. I know we often tend, you know, to think in black and white, when in reality, all of these things can sometimes overlap or even happen at the same time. I think the great illustration of this, the big illustration of this on the macro scale, is what happened to the children of Israel after they refused to go into the land of Kadesh Barnea. God says, you wouldn't go into this land. I told you to go in. So instead, you're now going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That was the discipline that he put on the children of Israel to teach them to obey. So in the meantime, they wandered round, but during that time, that 40 years, he still continued to feed them supernaturally and to bless them also. So sometimes God blesses his children and and disciplines them at the same time. Sometimes he will bless us and discipline us at the same time. All these observations I've made are in this passage 
and they're really worth noting. But the individual lesson here for Jacob, I believe, is one where he's trying to say, look out, for the deceiver can get deceived. Therefore, take note, friends, and be careful what you do, because your actions can be like a boomerang and they can come back to you. The cheater can often get cheated, the liar will often get lied to, and the thief will get robbed. And here, the deceiver got deceived. Sometimes those who live by the sword will indeed die by the sword, and for them, what goes around comes around. That is often the principle, but it's not necessarily the rule. So I did think about how I could illustrate this at the end, because you know I love to illustrate my teaching with a story. But, you know, the story in the book of Genesis sends this message in its own right. But there is another example I'd like to end with. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of Aesop. Now, in fact, he lived 600 years before Christ, after this was written, but before the arrival of Christ. But he was very famous for creating moral stories, what we today call Aesop's fables. And he tells the story of the fox, the donkey, and the lion. And as he tells that story, it talks about the donkey and the fox entering into a partnership together for their mutual protection, and they went out into the forest to try and find food together. But they'd not proceeded very far when they came upon a lion. Now the fox recognised the immediate danger and approached the lion and, I think Aesop says, whispered in his ears and promised to contrive to help the lion catch the donkey if the lion would promise not to harm him. He said, I can fix it for you that you can catch the donkey without having to stalk him and if I do that for you, can I go free? And the lion said, yes. So the fox then goes back to the donkey and says, come on, let's go. And he, But he leads him to somewhere where he knew someone had dug a trap and he led him in such a way that he fixed it that the donkey falls into the big hole in the ground, falls into the trap. Then the fox goes to the lion and says, deal's done, my friend. The donkey is trapped for you to eat whenever you want. The lion then looked in the hole, sees the donkey, and says, uh, and he says, mm, yeah, donkey's trapped, can't get out of the hole. The lion eats the fox right away and says to him just before he eats him, I'm eating you, but I can now eat the donkey later at my leisure. So there's an example of a trickster being tricked, being trapped by his own treachery. And that's one way to illustrate this story. But you know, at the end of the day, this story in its own right, right here in the book of Genesis, sends its message in its own way better than any other illustration I can find. Here we see the con man getting conned, the trickster getting tricked, the deceiver falling to deception. So the message for us friends is, be careful what we do, be careful how we live our lives, because what goes around may indeed for us come around. And God might in fact choose to teach us and to discipline us in order that he can bless us in the future. Okay friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to remind you that you can access lots more of my teaching, including long-form versions of my Bible teaching, and access to a great deal more stuff I'm doing, like discipleship courses. I'm currently creating a series on how to prepare expository preaching, as well as some stuff on Christian thought and church history. 
And I also uh, have a habit when I'm invited of doing talks in secular environments, places where I go and meet people on their terms in their place and try and find a way to make the Christian faith or the Word of God, the Bible, intersect with the areas of interest that they're interested in. So I go and do talks to art societies and I've also done talks in relation to science, psychology and even mental health. And those types of talk and those discipleship courses I generally make available on my Patreon website well in advance of anywhere else. Uh, So if you would like to sign up as a Patreon, which primarily people do because they value and support this ministry and they want to be part of helping me make the Bible Project podcast permanent and free as a resource on the internet for anybody who wants it, but also it enables it to get in front of more people. So if you share that vision and want to partner with me in that, just sign up for as little as £2 a month on my Patreon website. You'll be part of that process of making the Bible Study Project available, but there's also some additional resources that you might value. I mean, I'm hoping that the expository preaching course will enable and equip, in other words, a discipleship program to create more people who do something akin to what I'm doing, in other words, focus on preaching and teaching by using the expository method, in other words, going directly into the text within the context of which it was written and trying to explain it and apply it in today's world. Another way you can really help get this this material out in front of more people is to like, share or subscribe for it on whatever social media platforms you use because that enables it to get out into the digital world in the places that you happen to inhabit. But finally, I'd just like to say thank you again. You know, I really couldn't do this without you. In the knowledge of this wonderful community of people doing this together, I couldn't do it without your help and particularly your prayerful encouragement. But that's it for today. I do hope I'll see you right back here again very soon. It'll be for tomorrow for me. I'll be doing another. But whatever day it happens to be for you, uh, you access it. I hope you are blessed by it. And I'll see you again very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.